Welcome back to our series on the book of Judges, Messy People, Merciful God. We're taking the second half of our look at the judge named Gideon. How do you feel about boasting? Maybe um, oh, a little boasting now and then is all right. I just did a little bit this morning on Facebook. Or I can't stand when people boast. Well, picture this. You are at a staff meeting at work. And your boss is, um, he's really talking up and, and beginning to praise a project that you have put a lot of work into. And you're feeling pretty good about it. And then... All of a sudden, from across the table, one of your co-workers suddenly takes credit for it. And he actually begins boasting about this thing that you have actually been working on. How does that make you feel? There are, there are many things in our lives that we could be tempted to boast about, that we could be tempted to take credit for, me included. I mean, I have, a, I have a great marriage. I have awesome kids, so I think. I have a, a, I pastor a great church that I happen to love. I have a good health. I have a strong faith. I could be constantly tempted to boast about these things and take credit for them, even though none of those things are because of me. All of those things simply gifts from God. I had nothing to do with any of it. But I could be tempted to try taking credit for some of those things. What about you? Are there some things in your life that you could be tempted to boast about, tempted to take credit for? Maybe your, your career and what you've built in your career or your, your wealth that you've accumulated or um, your house that you, that you so finely maintain. Or maybe, maybe the, uh, your intelligence and your scores in school or the... Um, the goals that you have achieved or your marriage or your children or uh, your kids' accomplishments. There's a lot of things that we can be tempted to boast about and take credit for. How do you think God feels when we boast about or take credit for these things that he has given to us in the first place? Maybe a little bit like you would feel in that staff meeting. Boasting. Boasting, or in other words, taking credit, boasting to give ourselves credit for blessings we receive sucks the life out of faith. It sucks the life out of putting our faith in the one who can truly help us. And so in our lesson today, um, God wants to teach us who deserves credit for the blessings we receive. Before Gideon goes into battle to save Israel, God is going to teach his people who gets the glory for salvation? And that is a lesson that we still need to learn today. So I'm going to ask you to look at verses. We're going to start into um, chapter 7, verses 1 to 8. Um, and they're not going to be up here on the screen, but they're going to be in your, um, in your bulletin. So follow along. Verses 1 to 8. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men 
camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So, 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog, from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Okay, so you had, here's what the situation was, Israel versus Midian. You had 32,000 Israelite soldiers lined up against 135,000 Midianite soldiers. They are outnumbered four to one. Those are not good odds in a battle. But here's what the Lord said to Gideon. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. All right, so basically you're going to tell them anyone who's afraid can go. So you're outnumbered four to one, 135,000 to 32,000. And so basically what you're saying, you're going you're gonna to approach your army and say, okay, um, we're going into battle today and you are outnumbered four to one. So anyone who's afraid can go. <laughs> well, over two-thirds of the army left. 22,000 leave. Leaving now, 10,000 versus 135,000, which means now you're outnumbered 13 to 1. So if every soldier has to kill 13 soldiers, and you've got to do that 10,000 times in a row. I don't know what those odds would be, but I don't think they would be good odds. Then God says, there's still too many. Really? <laughs> We're out number 13 to 1. Yeah, there's still too many men. So I'm going to narrow them down for you. I'm going to sift them down for you. And so God does that in a very arbitrary way. God, is gonna, God narrows them down. Now, so he has them all go drink the brook, and then he looked the style that each guy drank, uh, drank water with. That's how he narrowed them down. Now, it's arbitrary. You, you can read all kinds of stuff about this where, well, the ones who were, the ones who were just going down on one knee and and scooping the water they're like more ready and they're more prepared and and so that's that's who they wanted those 300 guys but that wouldn't make sense at all with what god is doing here so other commentators and josephus the historian actually said no that those guys would have been less prepared or, or worse soldiers god probably took maybe the worst soldiers there were it doesn't matter in the end it was arbitrary because how good a soldier they were or weren't isn't going to matter maybe he was looking for good trumpet players but god narrows it down now to 300 men Versus 135,000, those odds are 450 
to 1. 450 to 1. And then the Lord says to Gideon, We need the next slide, please. Thank you. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. You see the lesson he's teaching there? With the 300 men, I will save you. So it's not going to be the size of your army. Now there's no way that Gideon could try to take credit for this. And God gives the reason in verse 2. God gives a reason in verse 2. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. That's why God narrowed it down to 300, so that they could not boast against him. See, God's people are either going to, God's people are either going to give him credit for the victory, or they're going to boast in themselves. Those are one of the two things that are going to happen. And because of our sinful human nature, if, there's, if we have even the slightest chance to boast in our own accomplishments, we're going to do that. We are going to do that. And God, notice that God says um, that that kind of boasting is against me. That kind of boasting is against God. So as soon as we believe that we deserve even a little bit of credit for delivering ourselves, what we are doing is robbing from God. We're taking away from God glory and credit that goes to him. Just like the person in the office uh, meeting, in the staff meeting, who takes credit for something you did, how would you feel? Well, how do you think God feels when we do that? Our greatest spiritual danger is believing that we can save ourselves. And so the lesson that we need to learn today is that our salvation comes from God's gracious actions and not from our own actions. And so our first take-home point is this. God saves us in a way that makes it obvious that he is saving us. Can you guys advance? Thank you. God saves us in a way that he, that makes it obvious that he is saving us. God, God knew that, um, God knew that there were too many men, even in that army of 32,000, to, to, so that, to, to let Israel clearly see that it would be him who is saving them, all right? He knew we are too forward. Thank you, just keep it there, thank you. Um, God knew that there are too many men for Israel to, to clearly see where the glory and praise should go for this victory that was coming. And so God took away all of those men, all of those men he took away so that Israel could not boast against God that they had done this on their own. So sometimes, sometimes God takes things away from us in order um, to help us clearly see that he is the one who's saving us. So, so don't, don't be alarmed. Don't, don't get alarmed when, um, when God strips away your strength. Like the Apostle Paul, God gave the Apostle Paul a thorn in his flesh so that he would rely on God's strength and not his own strength. And so God sometimes takes away the things in our life that, that give us false confidence. You know what I mean by that? Um, 
It's often our, our wealth or material things or our, our employment or even a relationship or uh, popularity with others um, or our health or our strength. Okay? God sometimes takes these things away that give us false confidence so that we will rely completely on him. And that's what we see happening here. So the question I want to ask you is, do, do we keep forgetting how powerful God is because we don't see how weak we are? Is that why as we live our life out there, we, we keep forgetting how powerful God is and what he can do for us because we don't see how weak we are. We don't see what our need for him. We don't see how great our need for him is. God's saving power won't work when we think that we're strong but when we know we are weak. We will only be saved when we look to him alone for salvation, when we trust in God alone for salvation. We cannot be saved if we are trusting in our own works for salvation. We will only be saved when we see and understand and recognize and admit that we are completely weak, that we have completely failed God. And so, sometimes, God takes some things away. And when we truly see how weak we are, then that is when we truly can appreciate the strength of God's love and grace. That's when we truly appreciate how precious and how real God's love and grace are. Let me just try to illustrate that for you. Um, Let's say someone comes up to you and says, I just paid one of your monthly bills. I just paid one of your monthly bills. Now, you don't know how happy to be until you know which one of the bills they paid, right? Oh, you paid my $7 Netflix bill. Thank you. That was really nice. Or you just paid my $2,000 mortgage. You're getting a hug. The, the greater the debt that was paid, the greater your joy will be, right? And, and in the same way, the more we see how truly weak we are without God, the more we appreciate how real and precious, how strong his love and grace are. We run into problems when, <clears throat> when good things in life start becoming too important for us. We, we make things that God has given us, um, you know, wealth, material things, our employment, our, you know, our relationships, stuff, stuff that God has given us, we make these things into our idols. We start looking to things like that for, to, to save us, to give us worth, and they always end up disappointing us. So sometimes, sometimes it isn't until those things that we kind of make so important in our lives get threatened or fail or even get taken away that we once again turn back to God for significance and safety. And so this is why God sometimes takes away things from our life like wealth or employment or a relationship or stuff or whatever because he realizes that we were trusting in those things more than him. And until those things are taken away, we're not going to turn back to him. Gideon and Israel were going to be tempted to put their confidence in their army. So God takes 99% of their army away so that they would have to trust in him in a whole new way. And then outnumbered 450 to 1, they are not going to go into battle unless they knew they were weak but trusted that God was stronger than the most powerful enemy. So here's something for you to think about today and this week. Have there been times in your life 
that God has weakened you in some way so that you can more clearly see that he is the one who is saving you. Have there been times in your life where you can see God has weakened me, God took something away, but now I can more clearly see that he is the one saving me. And how does that lead you to praise him? Because that's why he does it. He does that so that we praise him, so that we thank him. Um, God had been assuring Gideon all the way along. Last uh, week in Tom's uh, message, when we looked at the first half of Gideon, we saw a number of ways that God assured Gideon he's going to be with him, that he's keeping his promises. But now God just ripped 99% of Gideon's army away. So he probably needed a little bit more reassurance. Uh, when, I met, when I first met Dawn, I, I was... She was going to, at our, our university, Martin Luther College, seven hours away from the seminary I was going to, and a bunch of my friends had girlfriends there, and for whatever reason, I went with them that week up to um, her university, and um, on that weekend, I met her, and, and we got a chance to talk for a couple hours on the last night I was there, and we enjoyed our talk, shook hands, and uh, I drove back the seven hours with my friends back to the seminary. Well, about a week later, I, I got the courage up to to call her on the phone and um, we had a nice talk and and it went well and and then I found out that three weeks later my friends were going to be making that seven-hour drive to Minnesota again and um, so I talked to Dawn a couple times on the phone now I thought it'd be good to go up there and see her but you know I, I didn't know like I didn't know if this was going to be a good thing. I didn't know if, like, she would want me to make that trip, and therefore would it be worth it, or would I just be awkward, me, uh, showing up in Minnesota and having nothing to do for a weekend, or how was that going to go? So I called her up, and kind of we began talking about this, and I kind of said, I guess what I'm kind of looking for is just maybe a little positive reinforcement. And she laughed and said, all right, I'm giving you positive reinforcement. It would be a good thing for you to come up. And that was all the reassurance I needed. So that gave me the, 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 the courage that I needed to make that trip up, and God did the rest from there. The rest is history, as, as they say. Gideon needed some positive reinforcement in a bigger way. He needed some positive reinforcement if he was going to take 300 men into battle against 135,000. And God knew that, so God gave him some positive reinforcement. Let's pick up the text in verse 9, 9 to 15, second column there in your bulletin. We're going to, there we go, one more. There's my positive reinforcement slide. Okay, verses 9 to 15. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp. Because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midian camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. 
His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. So, God is saying, Gideon, if, if you want some more reassurance, go down to the enemy camp tonight. And you're going to hear something there that's going to encourage you. So Gideon and his servant went into the camp, and the sight was terrifying. The, the enemy, they were thick as locusts. They were uncountable. But while they were down there, Gideon heard one man telling another man about his dream. In the dream, there's a, a round barley. No, a barley loaf, barley and loaves of bread made with barley was food for the poor. Okay, normally you ate wheat bread. This was food for the poor when you couldn't afford that. This is, this is ramen noodles. So the barley bread represented the Israelites and how impoverished they were because of the famine, the fact that Midianites were stealing all their food. So they had no food to eat. So this that barley loaf represented the Israelites and how impoverished they were. It represented how weak and outnumbered Gideon's army was. But that round barley loaf comes tumbling and does the impossible. It knocked down a tent, the impressive tent of Midian. And, and just in case the meaning of the dream wasn't obvious enough, God even provided an interpreter, the guy who he's telling to the dream to, says, oh, this has to be Gideon and the Israelites. They are going to destroy us. So Gideon needed reassurance that God was with him and that God would keep his word, that he would keep his promises. And here God gave him that. God, God let Gideon see his enemy panicking. And finally, finally, Gideon takes courage. And he worshiped God. God brought him to the place where he could be confident without boasting. So Gideon could live in confidence without boasting. That he could see God is going to do this for us, has going to have nothing to do with my abilities. Confidence without boasting. And so our second take-home point today is this. We need repeated assurances repeated assurances that God will keep his promises. When we know we are weak, okay, when we've come to the point we know we are weak, things have been taken away from us, we see that we can't do it on our own. When we know we're weak, we need to be reminded that God is strong. We need to be continually reminded that God is strong. And the things that stand against us are not as strong as they often appear. Satan, Satan can't force us to sin. The, the, the idols, the power of idols can be broken. That that person that is making life difficult for you and persecuting you and all of that, are, they, they are often very broken underneath a very confident exterior. God is continually reassuring. God goes out of his way to reassure his people. Really, the whole message of the Bible is this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Think about a loving husband. A loving husband is going to regularly tell his wife, I love you. I will, I will, I will be here for you. Everything's going to be okay. All right? He's not going to say, I, I told you I loved you on our wedding day. What's your problem? He's not going to do that, right? If you love someone, when you love someone, 
you're going you're gonna to assure them of that repeatedly again and again. And that's the same thing that God does for us. Now, God may, sometimes God may ask us to take risks on the way to reassurance. It was kind of risky for Gideon to go into the camp, in the enemy camp. But yet that is the place where God gives him confidence, where he leads him to worship, and where he stirs him to action. And so sometimes we need to take risks in our life if we're going to see how awesome God's power is. If we only set out to do, if we only plan to do the things in our life that we know we can accomplish because of our own abilities, because of our own strength, we are never going to see how amazing God's power is. And so there are times in our life where we have to step out and, I guess, take that risk, in a sense, to put ourselves in a position that only God could deliver us so that we can finally see his power at work. There, there's a lot of things that we stand up against, that stand up against us, that we, we, we sometimes feel that we are going up against undefeatable enemies, right? Our marriage is impossible to fix. This addiction I have is, is impossible to overcome. Our family issues are, they're just impossible. Or, or reaching out with my faith to, to all the unbelievers of various religions or whatever around the world and in the community that we live in is just overwhelming to me. Or planting a church in a community like this is against all odds. So sometimes we need to take risks and let God do things in our life that only he could do. Let God win battles that only he could win. Let God tackle problems that only he could tackle. So marriage seems impossible to fix. Okay, but you know what? We're going to do some marriage counseling, even though all seems lost. Let's let God weigh in on this. Let's see what God's word can do here. Let's see how God can fix us when we know we can't. Or, um, all right, we're going to get some intervention for this, this addiction that I have. Because I can't fix it. I can't overcome it. But let's see what, what God's word weighing in. Let's see what, what God um, applying his power to this thing can do. Let's let God have a go at this problem because I can't. Or whatever it is that, that we stand up, that we stand up for the truth of what we know is right. And we, we just let God's word speak. Even though we, we're not sure that we can convince someone or, or show them like why they need God or why the Bible is right. But, you know, finally just let the lion out of the cage just let the word speak just let god's power do it and let 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 him take care of the results let him take care of the victory there, there's just so many places in life where um we maybe need to go into the enemy camp we need to take those risks um in such a way that it shows that god is the one who's going to win the victory for us and god continually reassures us along the way okay we're not alone so even if you, here's the thing, even if you leave here to, to, to today thinking, you know what, I'm never going to forget about God again. I'm never going to doubt him again. You're going to get to the point, you're going to get to the point soon enough where you're feeling indifferent again or whether, um, where you, you know, do forget about God again or where you're having some doubts again. And this is why, friends, we need, this is why we're here today and it's why we need, it's why we have all these Bible studies planned all week long because we need daily, daily repeated ongoing assurance that God is with us and that God keeps his promises. Where are we going to get it? 
Where are we going to get that reassurance? Number one, his word. The word of God. That's where it all comes from. That's the source of it. The, the powerful promises there change your life and they make you strong. So we get repeat assurance from the word. Number two, from other people. From other people. God reassured Gideon through the mouth of another person. And so we need to surround ourselves with people who are going to encourage us in who we are. And three, the circumstances of life. God put Gideon exactly where he needed to be. And as we live our lives, we are going to see God's hand in all that we do. We need to open our eyes and see his hand in all that we do because that is how God is going to bring us to reassurance. That is how God will recenter us on the word and the truth that we get there, which is more powerful than any enemy. So after this reassurance, finally, Gideon worshiped. Worshiping God is important because it shows that we trust him. It shows that we honor him. I mean, how often do God's people receive some good news and go joyfully on their way without stopping to worship God and give him thanks and give him praise and glory for that? Do you, do you think that we maybe, do you think this might be true that we forget to we sometimes forget to worship God after he's delivered us because we think that actually we delivered ourselves. Wouldn't that be the underlying reason for forgetting to worship God after something good happens to us? Because it's the same thing that we started with because we actually think we delivered ourselves. And so worshiping God gives him the honor for saving us. Worshiping God gives the glory where the glory needs to be. And now we get to sit back and watch God actually win the battle. So let's look at the last section of our text, verses 16 to 22. Here we go. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. And the army fled to Beth Shittah toward Zerarah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah near Tabith. And you can read on to the end. They, they're given the victory. Now this plan is half brilliant and half crazy. Half brilliant were the timing and the torches. The timing, uh, it was about 10 p.m., beginning of third watch, um, meant that basically about, about a third of them were um, just waking up, third of them were groggy, third were fast asleep. The other one was the torches. Don't know if you ever saw the TV show Lost, but there was an episode where the, the plane crash survivors were heading into the jungle in the dark of night to look for the others. And as they're looking for them, all of a sudden out of the jungle comes one of the others and he tells them to leave immediately, to turn around and leave. And just at that moment, all these torches suddenly lit up around him. 
and, and the plane crash survivors figured that they were surrounded, so they left. But it turns out that the torchbearers were the only ones present. But you can't tell that because it's dark. It's at night. And so possibly the Midianite army, when they saw 300 torches just light up in the middle of the night, they might have thought that there were a lot more soldiers, a lot more of an army there. And that could have been a helpful battle plan. So maybe there were some brilliant parts to the plan. But the other half was crazy, which actually means, in our way of thinking, it was actually trusting in God. <laughs> trusting in God crazy. And the first thing is the outnumbering of 450 to 1. But it didn't matter because none of them had to fight. They didn't do any fighting. It could have been 1,000 to 1. It could have been a million to one. It didn't matter because God did that. They just watched. And the other part was no swords. No swords. But again, it didn't matter because God provided swords in the hands of the Midianites who used them on each other. No doubt the, the, those 300 must have wondered, what kind of weapons are these jars? Sometimes we don't recognize the weapons that God gives us to fight in his battle. We think, well, if I don't have a sword, I can't fight. If I can't preach or teach like him, or if I can't share my faith or speak about God like her, then how can I be part of this great effort? How can I be part of this battle? But God gives us all kinds of things. He gives us other things to fight with that show that he is working through you. Maybe it's your sense of humor or your, your willingness to serve. Or maybe it's a gift you have for writing or music or um, cooking or sewing or building or caring. There are all kinds of things. God can use anything as a weapon, even if it doesn't make sense to us. And that's how we can live our lives in confidence without boasting. The Lord fought for Gideon and he won this battle for him against overwhelming odds. And so our third takeaway today is this. In the same way that God or that the Lord fought for Gideon, he fights for us versus overwhelming odds. God told his people's leader, the enemy is camped below you. Go defeat the enemy. You won't need all those soldiers surrounding you. You won't need angels surrounding you. You're going to win this battle without killing anyone. So you won't need that sword. You're just going with a message to proclaim and a light to shine in the darkness. And my power will work through that. You're not going to win a battle by taking lives. You're going to win a battle by offering up your own life. Do you think I was talking about Gideon? Mm. No, I was talking about the perfect judge that Gideon is pointing us to. Jesus. In the same way that the Lord fought for Gideon, he fights for us versus overwhelming odds. God overcame our greatest enemy in the most improbable way. A way even crazier than torches and jars and trumpets. 
the most improbable way of all, the sacrifice of his son on the cross. That's what's given you the victory. That's what's given me the victory. Friends, God fights for us versus overwhelming odds so we can live in confidence without boasting. It isn't us. It's him. Amen.